Psalm 121. So we are continuing a summer sermon series through the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 through 134. And today we come to uh, what is known as the Traveler's Psalm. I think you'll see why. Let me read it. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Some of you know that recently I went on a travel of my own. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I had the joy of traveling to Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. And uh, it was an incredible experience. I went there with Pastor Godwin and uh, one of our interns, Blaine Boyd. And we went there to teach uh, uh, pastors and Christian leaders there just how to to be better at studying the Bible and teaching the Bible. It was a great experience. Um, You know, I love, I'm just one of those people who loves travel. I love new places, new food, new experiences, all that kind of thing. I'm I'm just hardwired for adventure. I love risks. I'm a risk-taking kind of person. But I have to admit, even I, at a certain point in that journey, had the thought come into my mind, Jeremy, what are you doing? I think it was just as the plane was leaving the tarmac at Logan, and and I knew there was no turning back. I thought, you're you're going to the Middle East, Jeremy. You've never been there. What are you doing? What if something goes wrong? You know, all the what ifs. What if you get sick? There's all this MERS going around, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. I'm going to the Middle East. Like, what if I get that sickness? Uh, What if when I get to the airport, the people who are there to pick me up don't show up? I really had no way of getting in contact with them. You know, we just communicated. They were going to pick me up. They knew my flight time. But but what if they weren't there? What if I was in a car accident while I was there? Something went wrong and I had to go to the hospital. How does the insurance work? How does the medical system work? I don't know. What what if I lost my passport? What if I decided to go for a jog on the beach at 4 a.m. because I'm jet lagged, which I did, and uh, and you're not supposed to be on the beach at 4 a.m.? You know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, what if being a stupid American, I did something un- unintentionally to offend Islam while I was there and created some kind of international religious crisis, you know, American Baptist pastor, blah, blah, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I could do dumb things and not even realize it. And so there's all these questions. The reality is that even in the modern world, with all of the conveniences we have, travel is still somewhat of a risky business. If you're a traveler, you are at risk. You are in a vulnerable position. Uh, You're in a place where where you don't know the customs. You don't know the rules. You don't know how to get access. It's a different culture in a different place. Um, And so uh, it's risky. And, and, And I think that's why Psalm 121 still speaks to modern people today. It's Psalm 121 is called the Traveler's Psalm. 
It's one of the more uh, well-known, it's one of those favorites. You ask people, what's your favorite psalm? This could very well make the list for some people, Psalm 121, because it talks about the, the risks of being on the road, the dangers of the journey, and how the psalmist cries out for God to help him on the journey. As, as he tries to make it. Uh, for those of you who, are, who were here last Sunday, you know that we've uh, started a kind of a mini summer sermon series on the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are Psalms 120 to 134. And, and they're all Psalms that kind of revolve around the, the annual pilgrimages that the Israelites made to Jerusalem. So three times a year, if you were an Israelite, you were to travel to Jerusalem at the time of the harvest festivals and present your offerings to God and, and worship the Lord in Jerusalem. And so you have this, this collection of psalms that are sort of built around the theme of pilgrimage. And so you can imagine an ancient Israelite traveling from somewhere in Israel to Jerusalem. They had to go through the desert. It was very hot. It was very... Um, uh, inhospitable, there were dangers on the road, there could be bandits, there could be wild animals. And so the traveler back then, making this three times a year journey to Jerusalem, this psalm takes on a special meaning to that traveler. And if you were here last Sunday, you also, we also thought together about the fact that, that at a spiritual level, the psalm speaks to us, at a spiritual level, because to be a Christian is to be perpetually a pilgrim in this world. If you're, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you're no longer at home in this world. We're traveling to the kingdom of God. And so even though you may be living in the same place, um, in the same country, in the same culture, you no longer fit there. You're now on a journey until Christ returns to the kingdom of God. And so we very much have a sense as Christians of, of kind of being pilgrims. And, and we kind of wonder, am I going to make it sometimes? Do you ever wonder if you're going to make it in your Christian faith? Like 10 years from now, will you still be a follower of Jesus? Will something happen to derail you? Have you ever known people who've claimed to be followers of Jesus and then have fallen off the rails? And you wonder, what happened to that person? I wonder if that could happen to me. I I wonder if 10 years from now I'll still have the faith because there's still sin in my life that pulls me away from God. And what if some crisis happens and I just can't hold on? Maybe some of you are thinking, I don't even know if I'll be holding on to my faith a week from now. I'm just holding on by the fingernails right now. It's a difficult journey through the Christian life. So Psalm 121 resonates on all kinds of levels. Our experiences of travel, our our experience of spiritual pilgrimage. And here the psalmist is crying out for help on the journey. So look at verse 1. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills... Where does my help come from? You can imagine this pilgrim, start of the journey, just setting out on foot, maybe riding a donkey, who knows, picture it how you want, looking up, seeing the road going off into the distance, and there are mountains, and he's he's lifting up his eyes, saying, how am I going to make this journey? I'm going to need help. This is not going to be easy. Where does my help come from on this journey? Why does the psalmist lift up his eyes to the hills? What is it about the hills or the mountains that the psalmist is looking at? Uh, well, it's, it's tough to know. You know, this is poetry, right? So, so one of the, the, the ideas in poetry, if you, some of you are familiar with poetry, some of you maybe not, but poetry communicates through images. 
That's how poetry works. The logic of poetry is that it puts images in front of you, and those images have an emotional effect. So, so there's kind of an emotional logic to poetry that you have to follow by letting the images strike you. And, and one of the questions here is, is why, why the hills? What is it about the hills? And one possibility is that the hills represent danger. Bandits and lions lurking in the hills and difficult terrain to traverse. Um, but I'm not sure if that's what the hills represent. It, it's tough to find other places in the Bible where hills are a threatening presence. Another possibility, this is kind of intriguing, is that the hills uh, are often the places where the pagan people go to worship their gods. So they go up, you know, up on Mount Olympus for the Greeks. Or, or the, uh, the Canaanite peoples in Israel would go up on the high places or on the mountains to meet with their gods. So it's possible that the psalmist is looking at all of the, the different gods of all the different nations and saying, is this, which one of these should I look to for help? But whatever the hills exactly represent, the question is the same. Where does my help come from? As we're thinking about the journey through life, as we're thinking about the trials and tribulations we face, where do we look to for help? And the psalmist gives us his answer. Verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from God. The Lord is the one who helps me and supports me. In this journey, with all of the questions and all of the fears and all of the weakness, and as I wonder whether or not I have the wherewithal to make it, it's God himself who is going to be my help and my strength and my support on this journey. And not just God, but look, the psalmist is even more specific than that. He says, my help comes from the Lord. You see that? Do you notice in your Bible there that the Lord is all in capital letters? You ever notice that sometimes in the Old Testament, the Lord will all be in capital? Why, why is that? Is that like for emphasis? Lord. You know, what is that? Why is it all capitals? Well, actually, every time you see it in all capitals, in Hebrew, that's a place where the personal, Old Testament personal name of God appears. So, uh, and, and that name is, you guys know? Yahweh. That's the Old Testament name for God, Yahweh. That's how he revealed himself. Um, so just like the God of the Canaanites, his name is Baal, and the God of, of the Egyptians, the chief God was named Ra, well, the God of Israel was named Yahweh. But, but the Jews didn't want to take the risk of using the Lord's name in vain, so in, uh, they'll often pronounce it Adonai, which means Lord. That's why it's written here as Lord, but really it's his personal name. But here's the point. Our help doesn't just come from any God. It comes from Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. This isn't, well, you know, pick a mountain, any mountain. Pick a God, any God. This isn't, well, choose the higher power of your understanding. This is, there is only one God. There are not multiple gods to choose from. There's one God, the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. Or, as it says here in verse 2, the maker of heaven and earth. There's only one God. It's the God who created all things. Yeah, those mountains you're looking to, guess what? You can get help from the God who made those mountains. He's the maker of heaven and earth. 
Isn't that an awesome thought? That our help comes from the God who made all things. The God who made grass and flowers and trees and forsythia bushes and lilacs and New England springs. The God who made the ocean and made mountains and made the hills. The God who made stars and sun and moon and nebula and black holes and everything that's out there. That God, the God who made the laws of physics, the God who made the the rules of chemistry, the God who even now is upholding the laws of physics so that they still act like laws. That God who made and superintends and governs and sustains reality as we know it. The maker of heaven and earth. That awesome, awesome God, the psalmist says, is my helper. That just blows your mind, doesn't it? Who's going to help you? The maker of all things. It's kind of like, you know, if you were in school and you're struggling with math, trying to figure math stuff out, needed some help. And imagine if the person who came over to be your math tutor was Albert Einstein. You know, who's helping you with math? Albert Einstein. Really? You know, or, or you're struggling with personal finances, you're trying to work out your budget, and so you had someone to help you with your finances. Imagine if the person who helped you was Warren Buffett. You know, so what, are you doing some investment stuff? Yeah, I got this guy Warren Buffett, he's helping me personally. Like, what? You, got, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out the cello, and Yo-Yo Ma comes to help you. Um, you know, th- that's the idea. Like, my helper, the one who's my helper is the creator of heaven and earth. This is the amazing hope we have, is that God, I'll give you some theological terms here, God is transcendent, God is above and beyond the creation, you can't equate God with anything of the creation, the sun is not God, the moon is not God, God made all those things and rules all those things, he's so far above, and yet God is not only transcendent, here's the other theological word, he's also imminent, he's close, he helps us. Our God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, the psalmist says, that's who's going to help me. That's where my help comes from. Could you stop there for a second and ask you a question? Where do you need help right now? You know, what, what were you stressing out about most this week? Where do you need help? What are you worried about? What are you kind of panicky about? Did you wake up at all this week in the middle of the night a little bit freaked out? What was that? Are you worried you need help with an issue in your life? Are you worried about something that's coming up in your future? Is there a decision? Where do you need help? Do you need help in your spiritual life? Are you you struggling to hold on to faith in the Lord? Maybe you have sin in your life that just seems like it keeps tripping you up and beating you down. Do you ever worry about the church? The church needs help. Maybe that's just me as a pastor. I don't think so, though. I know there's a lot of you here who love this church. Do you ever worry about the church? Have concerns for this whole congregation? Where, where I, I'm like, man, our church needs help. Our church still has a ways to go. You know, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, and you know, I'm, like a, I'm a parent. I've got four kids. I'm concerned about them. But then I look at the church, and then it's like a whole other group. And I'm like, oh, I've got to worry about them, too. And like, ah, you know, God, my church needs help. I need help. What about our country? You know, here we are on Memorial Day, and it's kind of a bittersweet day because on the one hand, we're just so thankful for men and women who 
gave their lives to secure incredible freedoms and privileges for us. And then yet we look at our country at the same time and many of us have a sense of discouragement at the direction the country's going and the way people are using those freedoms. And we think, wow, our country needs help. Is there anyone big enough to help? Our help comes from the Lord. I just want to encourage you to look to the Lord for help. Which means we have to pray. See, my, my, my instinct is to affirm this verse mentally. Oh yeah, I believe these verses. But Monday through Saturday, when the heat's on, my first instinct isn't to go to the Lord for help. You know, oh, things are tough. All right, time to send an email. Time to make some phone calls. Time to Google it. Figure out the solution. Time to take a piece of paper, write out a strategic plan, begin implementing a plan of action, and if all else fails, maybe I'll pray. Now, we need to be people who call upon the Lord, who, who swing our feet out of bed every day, and as they hit the floor, before we stand up, say, Lord, I need help today. I need help. I need help to follow you. I'm not going to follow you well today if you don't help me. I need help just to to hold it together. I need help in every way. We, we need to be a people who, who cultivate a constant consciousness of our need for God's help. That we are people dependent upon him. Even as we press on with our work and send our emails and make our phone calls and make our plans, there needs to be an awareness that all of our help comes from the Lord as we trust. That's what it means to live by faith. To trust that God is the one helping us. Where do you need help right now? Have you called on the Lord? Verses 3 through 8 is the second half of this psalm. And here there's, there's a slight shift in focus. It's, it's really still about the same thing, about God helping us. But, but the focus shifts in two ways. One, you go from the first person to the second person. So in verses 1 and 2, it's all my Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. But in verses 3 through 8, it's all you. He can help you. He can strengthen you. He can guide you. He can bless you. God will watch over you. And so so it's kind of like the psalmist has been encouraged in verses 1 and 2. And now in verses 3 to 8, he's encouraging others to trust in God in the same way. Okay? The other shift you see in verses 3 through 8 is really the psalmist goes into detail about how God helps us. How does Yahweh help us in this journey? What, what, is, what does it look like for him to help us on the path and on the pilgrimage during the travels? And, and as you look at verses 3 through 8, there's really one major idea that should be jumping out at you as to how the Lord helps us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 3 to 8 really fast. You listen and see if you can find this repeated concept It is the main idea of how God helps us. All right, let me read it real fast. Verse three, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Did you hear a repeated phrase? Watch over right? Watch over, watch over, watch over. Some of you may have a different translation Bible you're using. It might have said guard, 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 guard. It might have said protect, 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 protect. 
It might have said keep. Some translations have keep, keep you, keep you, keep you, keep you. But the point is, six times in this passage, six times in this passage, the same Hebrew word, shamar, which means to guard or to keep or to protect or to watch over, is used. All right, it's in verse 3. Some of you guys have it underlined in those pew Bibles? I asked the first service to underline it. So, there you go. If you're using a pew Bible that's not underlined, you may take out a pencil and underline it yourself. You may not draw other things, but you may underline, right? That's not showing disrespect to God's word, but it's, it's helping us see the emphasis. He who watches over you, verse 3. Verse 4, he who watches over Israel. Verse 5, the Lord watches over you. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you. Actually, that's the same word. I don't know why they translated it differently there. I wish they would have kept it watch. Verse 7, he will watch over. Verse 8, the Lord will watch over. Do you get it? How does God help us? He watches over us. He's, he's looking. He, he's keeping an eye on us. He's guarding and protecting. That's how he helps us on the journey. It's like when you watch a, um, a news clip and you see a politician there shaking hands and you know, greeting people and kissing babies. And then if, if you look, there's a couple guys in the background behind the politician, big guys with sunglasses. And they're like, you know, going like this. You know, those guys. And they're watching over and they're, they're seeing who's shaking hands and they're, they're security. They're, they're guarding and watching over that person. Or maybe you've been to the beach in the summer and you see a toddler just screaming down the beach. You're like, wow, whose kid is that? Well, just look around. Somewhere on the beach you'll see a mom who's like, you know, mm, and she's, she knows how far her kid can go and if that kid goes far enough, whoop, she's up and she's at it. She's watching. She's going to keep him. She's going to protect him. I was in uh, Nebraska uh, many years ago and uh, visiting my dad's side of the family. It was all from southeast Nebraska. And, uh, and we drove by a field, and there was a bunch of sheep in the field that some farmer was keeping. And right out in the middle of the sheep was a llama. Right? Just like random, llamas in Nebraska. So, so I was like, why, why is there a llama there? They're like, oh, yeah, they, they guard the sheep. They keep the coyotes away. And I was like, you know, that's like llamas. I don't know, every time you see a llama, they just look mad. They're just like, you know, and I'm, you know they're just like, you know. And it's like as you're driving by, the llama was just like, you know, watching me as we drove by, you know, I see you kind of a thing. I don't want to mess with those sheep. The sheep are oblivious. But the llama, he's like, you know, ready to take on the coyotes. He's watching over. That's what God does for us. He watches, he keeps he guards, he protects. That's how he's going to help us on this journey. Let's get more specific. Let's look at the verses real quick. Verse 3, he won't let your foot slip. It's treacherous climbing up in the mountains. Lots of rocks and boulders. If you ever climbed up Mount Washington, you know there's parts of that trail that are all slippery rocks, talus, boulders, twist your ankle terrain. But God's not going to let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Did you know that factoid about God? God doesn't sleep. Do you know that? God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get sleepy. God doesn't need caffeine. God doesn't do nap jerks. God is, right? God doesn't sleep. So when you woke up at 3 a.m. panicking, 
with your mind racing, worrying, isn't it cool to know that God was awake with you? And from 10 a.m. to 3, when you were sound asleep, God was awake. And when you finally got back to sleep at 4.30 for a few more hours, God was still awake. He doesn't sleep. So you can just go back to sleep. It's okay. He's watching over your life. And he's not just watching over you. Look at verse 4. He who watches over Israel. So God is watching over all of his people. He's watching over our church. I don't have to wake up at 3 and worry about this church. I can just pray, give it to him, go back to sleep. Really no point in me staying up. God can stay up for me and watch over. God's watching over all his people. He's watching over Redeemer Church of Dubai, where I got to worship when I was there. He's, he's watching over those who call. Anyone who calls upon him, he will watch over you. And he doesn't sleep. God protects us in bad atmospheric conditions. Verse 5, the Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Remember, it's hot in the desert. Traveling in the desert is dangerous by day. Uh, I, I looked at the average um, temperatures in Dubai, and uh, for four months out of the year, the average temperature is over 100 degrees. For the other two months on either side of it, the average temperature is in the high 90s. And then like a couple you know, m- months on the either side of that, it's like in the low 90s, you know, and so, which to me sounds like heaven on earth. But uh, I love hot weather. But it's dangerous to travel in. Dangerous to walk in. You can get dehydrated easily. You can get heat stroke very easily. I grew up in the desert, and uh, I used to run cross country in high school, and you, know, you had to be careful. We'd run in the heat of the day, and you'd come home, and you'd get, your skin would be crawling and covered in salt, and you're starting to get heat exhaustion. It's easy. You have to be really careful in the desert. What's this about night? Why, what, why am I worried about the moons harming me by night? What, am I going to get moon burn? Like, what, what is that, the moon? I'm not really scared of the moon. Well, it's cold at night in the desert. High temperatures a day. Temperatures plummet cold at night. And so if you're not dressed right, if you're out in the open, if you're a traveler, if you're exposed, it can actually be really dangerous just as much in, at night. If the wind picks up a little bit in the desert, not good, not good. But the Lord will protect us, even when the atmospheric conditions are bad. Some of us live in bad atmospheric conditions. You walk into the workplace and it's hostile, it's hot, it's dangerous. Some of us at school are in a bad classroom or around bad friends. Some of us, when we walk into our homes, face a lot of discomfort. Sometimes we look at our culture, even here in our country that we love, and and we see the way our culture is going and we think, this isn't good. You know, we, this, this is a hard place to follow Christ. This is a hard place to be a person of faith. It's a hard place to stand up for right and wrong, increasingly so. This is not a welcoming environment. It's inhospitable like the desert. But the Lord is our shade and he'll protect us. And then the Psalm, verses 7 to 8, just kind of goes off into outer space there. Just crescendos. This is where the fireworks are at the very end. The whole thing reaches a a booming climax. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. 
Amen. You know, can you feel that? That sort of explosion of, of hope and faith at the end of this psalm. Total protection, 24-7, 365. God, morning and night, sleeping or awake, all harm, watching over your life, the totality of your life, whether you're coming or going, both now and forever, God guards us. And so we have confidence as Christians. We can have hope that, that even in this life, even in the, the worst thing life throws at us, that God helps us by keeping us, guarding us, protecting us. We have hope because God keeps us. God keeps us. God keeps us. He is our keeper. Do you believe that? I believe it. I believe this. Do you have experiences from your life where you have experienced this? Where you should be dead right now, but God kept you. Where, where you should have strayed from the faith, but you're here. Have you felt and experienced the keeping power of God in your own narrative? So we believe it, we say amen to it. What an incredible psalm. But if you believe it, if you say amen to it, it does raise a slight problem. And that problem is, what then do we do with the experience and the reality of suffering and hardship in the Christian life. I think that's the tricky interpretive thing I find in this psalm, is that I read this psalm, I interpret it, I love it, I'm like, yes. But then I also realize that God's people throughout the ages, Old Testament, New Testament, church history, our lives today, God's people do in fact have at times some very, very bad things happen to them. So... That's what I was wrestling with as I read this psalm. It seems like a great protection from God. So, so why is it? Why is it that... How do we put together Psalm 121 with the fact that Christians suffer and they struggle and bad things happen and they get hurt? Um, you know, in my own personal Bible reading lately, I've been reading about King David, the man after God's own heart. That dude had it hard and rough. Very rough life. Lots of difficulties some of his own making, lots of things that happened to him unjustly. Uh, and what about um, uh, Paul in the New Testament who wrote 1 Corinthians? We just finished studying. Paul had a lot of bad things, a lot of suffering happened to him. We in our own lives as Christians also perhaps have experiences of, of suffering and difficulty and terrible occurrences that we really we struggle to make sense of, frankly. What do we do with that? How does that fit with Psalm 121? Is it that, uh, well, Psalm 121 is a promise of blessing if you have enough faith, right? The problem is you need more faith. And if you can just summon the faith and claim your blessing, like the TV preachers tell us, claim your prosperity. If you just have enough faith and name it and claim it and call the 1-800 number on your screen and donate now, the blessing of God will come to you. Is that it? Is it that I'm going through hard things because I just need to kind of believe the bad things away? Is that it? No. I I know people, you know people who really love Jesus who go through very, very hard, difficult things. And it's not because they 
lack faith. Some of the most faith-filled people I know have gone through terrible trials and tribulations. Well, um, maybe it's that this is a psalm, and I think that's part of the answer, actually, that this is a psalm, this is poetry, this is not scientific language. And, and so there's a, a degree to which this is evocative, that this is trying to affect us in our emotions so that we would have stirred up faith. But I think there's another reason, too, and another way we can kind of weave together this psalm with the, the experiences in our life of suffering and difficulty, and it's this. <clears throat> Remember that this is a song of ascents. It's about the journey to Jerusalem. We're trying to get someplace. You know, we call this the traveler's psalm, but, but don't mistake that for someone who's just traveling around for the sake of traveling. This isn't like the hobo song. You know, I'm just traveling around, not, no destination, just living on the road. God will take care of me. No, 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 this is someone who's trying to get someplace. This isn't the hippie living in the VW van going around to Grateful Dead concerts, okay? I'm just traveling, just out there like tumbleweed blown with the breeze. And, and you know, the, desti- the journey is the destination. You know? No, 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 no. This psalmist and we as Christians are going on a journey to a place. We're trying to get to Jerusalem. And so I think part of making sense of this psalm is that God protects us and guards us in order to bring us to our destination. That, that the guarding and the protecting is for a purpose. <clears throat> it's for a goal. So verse 3, he won't let your foot slip. In other words, you're not going to break your leg and die of exposure out in the desert. God's going to get you there. He's got, the sun and the moon aren't going to harm you. You're not going to die of dehydration and heat stroke. You're not going to die of hypothermia out in the wilderness. You're going to get there. God is going to bring you to the destination, and he's going to guard you and keep you. This isn't a call for the pilgrim to just sit down on the road and be like, well, I guess God will take care of me, so I'll just sit right here. No, 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 keep going. You're going to make it. You're going to reach the destination in the end. That's the promise, that God's guarding and keeping us for a purpose so that the pilgrim will reach the finish line. And so it is in our Christian lives that, that the Bible never promises, if you're going to be a Christian, the Bible never promises you a pain and suffering free life. But it says that God is with us through it and God will get us across the finish line. Look at, I want to show you one other verse before we close. Go to the last book of the Bible, of the New Testament. Book of Revelation. And then go to the book before Revelation. Jude. So find Revelation, then go one book before. Don't turn too much past Revelation, because Jude is a super short little book. And we have the same hope, that God is a keeping God. Look at Jude 1. This is a letter. So Jude, Revelation, last two books of the Bible. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, verse 1. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. So who are Christians? They're those who've been called. God has called them. They, they felt the call of God in their hearts. They've been called by God. They're loved by God the Father, and they are kept. Jesus Christ keeps 
those whom God has called. Or look at the very end of the letter. Look at verse 24. There's only one chapter. Look at verse 24. Here's the doxology at the end. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence. You're going to make it. That Jesus Christ, who saves sinners, also has the power, he is able to keep you from falling and make sure that you reach the destination, which is to be in the presence of God. This is the great doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. It's the idea that those whom God has truly saved, those who are truly belong to Christ, those who are truly born again, God's elect people, will make it all the way. In fact, I don't really like the name the perseverance of the saints. I think a better name for that doctrine should be the perseverance of God with his saints. Because the fact is, I don't have what's in me to persevere to the end. It's God who's keeping me and holding on to me and helping me to get to the end. God keeps his people. He's able to keep us from falling. He's able to present us before his presence. Now, does that mean that we as Christians, therefore, again, just sit on the side of the road and go, well, God's going to get me there, so... You know, I'll just sit here on my couch. Don't worry about it. I'll just get to heaven someday. No, 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 no. You've got to keep walking. <laughs> you can't give up. You've got to keep the faith. You've got to keep on keeping on. Look back at verse 20. Here's our part of it. Verse 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Get this, verse 21. Keep yourselves in God's love. So we have to keep ourselves. We have to keep on keeping on. We've got to keep our faith. But we have confidence that the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, will bring us to eternal life. So we keep the faith in confidence because we know that God is keeping us so that we can keep the faith. So you've got to keep keeping, but knowing that God is keeping, you're keeping. He's He's shepherding us along. So, in other words, Jesus doesn't just save people and forgive them. He doesn't just pull them out of the ditch and say, hey, don't, you know, I saved you, I pulled you out of the ditch. Now, don't do that again. All right? Good luck on the journey. He pulls us out of the ditch, and then he's like, you're obviously not going to be able to do this. So, I'm with you. Let's go. You know, that's the Christian life. He's keeping us. And we have to keep moving. We have to keep pilgriming. But he's doing it. And sometimes he has the firemen carry us just to keep us going forward. But he keeps our keeping so that he ensures that those who are his make it. The good shepherd doesn't lose his sheep. He's a good shepherd. The grace of Jesus that saves you is the same grace of Jesus that keeps you to bring you to the finish line. So I just want to encourage us as believers to keep on keeping on. Don't lose, don't lose your fervor. Don't stop praying. Don't stop seeking the Lord. Don't stop walking with him. Don't, don't stop searching and reaching out. Don't give up. If your faith feels weak, keep on keeping on because he is able to keep you. And even when you feel like you can't keep going, he will keep you in the journey. And even if you're here this morning and you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian, 
maybe you're from a different background or you're, you're not sure what you are, you have questions or doubts, it's possible that, that one of the, the questions, doubts you may have about follow, becoming a follower of Jesus is just this question, how do I know if I'm going to make it? Right? Like, okay, so if I were to you know, repent and believe in Jesus, there's a part of me that's, that's intrigued by that, but I'm a little bit afraid. What, what if I repent and believe in Jesus, and then three months from now things get hard and I give up? What, what if I don't have what it takes to make it? You know, I don't want to be that guy who washes out of the program. I don't want to be that person who signs up for the gym on New Year's, making a New Year's resolution, and four months later doesn't go to the gym anymore. Like, I, I, want, to, I want to do this, but, but, you know, I don't know if I have what it takes to follow Christ. Maybe you look around at other Christians you know, and they seem so much more holy, and they know so much about the Bible, and they're so good at praying out loud, and they and, and it seems like they're so into the worship and you're kind of like still feeling a little weird. And, and you think, I'll never be like those Christians. I, I, why would I follow Christ? I'm, I'm going to be a failure. I don't have what it takes if I started following Christ to keep following Christ. And what I want to say to you is, you're right. You don't have what it takes. Jesus has what it takes. That's true for every Christian. Jesus has what it takes to save people, and Jesus has what it takes to keep wayward, wandering sheep who blow hot and cold, who go back and forth. Jesus can keep his sheep all the way. Right? We, a couple weeks ago, last Sunday rather, we celebrated baptism here. We, we celebrated the beginning of the Christian life by grace. We, we baptized people. They went under the water to symbolize their old life was dead and buried with Jesus. They came up out of the water to symbolize that they're living a new life with Jesus. We have grace at the beginning of the journey. But then we come every, other, every month, once a month, and we have the Lord's Supper. And we celebrate the ongoing life-giving presence of Jesus. We still need grace every day. It's like that old hymn, Amazing Grace. You guys know Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Right? That was, oh, I got saved. But you've got to go a few verses later into the hymn. You know, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that's brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. So the grace that saves us is the grace that keeps us. Jesus doesn't just forgive people and kind of gives them a kick and says, all right, good luck with this. Hope you do pretty good following me. You're probably going to blow it, but I'll be surprised if you make it. No. He, he's a savior. He forgives and he keeps and he purifies and he glorifies and raises. All those, Jesus said, whom the Father gives to me, will come to me, and I will raise them up. He doesn't lose sheep because he's the good shepherd, and he keeps us. And so if you're worried, I don't know if I could follow through on a commitment to Christ, I just want to say, yeah, you can't, but don't worry. Jesus will follow through. He can save, and he can keep, and he does it for those who call out to him in faith. Don't let that stop you. Jesus is the good shepherd who not only lays down his life for the sheep,
but holds on to his sheep so that none can snatch them out of his hand. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we worship you because you keep us. Thank you for your 24-7 care for us. I thank you, Jesus, that even when we go through hard times, you are able by your power to turn those hard experiences into character-shaping experiences that enable us to keep the faith even more on the other side. Lord, you can take experiences that should knock off our faith and instead use them to strengthen our faith. You are so good at keeping your sheep. And so, Lord, we trust you. We want to push forward in our faith. We want to We want to press ahead. Help us, Lord, to keep pressing on in confidence that you're walking with us. And Lord Jesus, I pray for anybody here who is feeling the call of God in their heart, is hearing the call of Christ. They they hear the call of the Good Shepherd, but they are afraid. Lord, I pray that they would not fear, that they would know that you, Jesus, not only know how to save and forgive, but that you know how to walk with and guide and keep. And so, Lord, I pray, give us faith to believe wherever we're at in the journey. Give us faith to get on the road and to walk with you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.